0: Good morning, all. Uh, My name is Chris Lyons. It's my privilege to be with you today. I'm the pastor of Children, Youth, and Family Ministries, so I get to hang out with our families and our students here. It's it's just a privilege to help serve them. And it's a special privilege to bring the conclusion to our Job series, uh, the series entitled Embracing Mystery. I was talking with a friend, a mentor this week, and I said, I'm I'm bringing a, a message on Job this week. And he said, oh, this is great. I have listened to you preach and find it suffering. So good luck there. You're welcome. No, I'm just kidding. Huge seasons. But I hope that's not the case. But this week in preparation, I have been thinking lately about whether I've been thinking rightly. I've been thinking lately about whether I've been thinking rightly. I'll come back to that. First, I'm gonna to speak to the little elephant in the room. I did get a new haircut. Thanks. That's for you, Chris. I did get a new haircut, but there's a story behind it. I was actually having a bit of a Job day last fall. Uh, Here on a Sunday, we actually had a situation where we were cleaning up about an exposure with COVID, and then my glasses fell on Stone Avenue. They got ran over by a car, and my car got hit in the parking lot all on the same day. Just a tiny little Job moment. I was discouraged. So word got around, and some friends here at church came by. Unlike Job's friend, they came by for encouragement to me, and they... Brought uh, some movie passes and some dinner coupons. And then they brought a gift certificate for a haircut. I wasn't offended, but they brought a gift certificate for a haircut, the presidential treatment at a local establishment. So I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. I show up very, very suave. Here's the before and after picture. Oh, Lord. Take it down. Take it down. But uh, I'm just like, I can't even believe they let me in a place like this. I mean, facial, the whole thing. I'll never do it again. Anyhow, it was very interesting. But then the the funniest thing happened. This this hairstylist starts doing this with my hair. Literally, that's what he's doing. He's doing this with my hair. And he asks me, have you always parted your hair from right to left? And I'm like, just for decades, except for that really awkward fall when I was a freshman. Yeah. Take, take down, take down. Guys, we had zippers on our shirts, all over zippers. It was so weird. Except for that part in the middle, I'd always part it. And he's like, no, no, no. He's doing this to me. And he's like, no, no, you need to part your hair from the left to the right. You've been doing it all wrong. When you part it from right to left, it's like you're standing there closed off to the world. But if you part it from the left, you like say, I'm open. And I'm like, this guy is really into haircuts, obviously. But um, so I went with it and I'm going with it. I bring that story to you today because it made me think I've often been parting my hair on the wrong side when it comes to a theology of suffering. My head has literally been wrong often about how I've thought about suffering in the world and God's role in suffering and, and the hurt that goes on. I wonder if you've been there too. We have these automatic defaults like Job's friends, which we've been talking about for all these weeks. They've been looking at it from the wrong side. Job's friends were off on their theology of suffering, but they were not alone. We find that Jesus's disciples in John 9, they come upon a man born blind. And the first thing they say is who sinned, this guy or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus is saying, your hair's all messed up. You're looking at this question wrong. This happened so that God's glory might be revealed. Friends, we have these defaults about how we look at the hurt in the world. And I wonder, there are times we should just pause and and question if we're looking at them right. You know, we have angry moments in the middle of our our suffering. We have questions. And if Job has showed us anything, God can handle those questions. And as I think about how God let Job wrestle and their relationship was formed in it, it makes me think even more so about how Jesus to read through the gospels, how he met people in times of hurt and suffering. He loved them right where they're at. And he met them there. And he was actually, he welcomed questions. Jesus himself was a great question asker over 300 times in scripture. He asked questions because questions, questions make for relationship. Questions inspire relationship. So as I I think about this day, as we approach this text, I just want you to know today too, we're going to come and reflect on our right theology of suffering and ask and believe that there is good news to know that bad news is not the end of the story. When it comes to Jesus, would you please pray with me? Jesus, we know that, you know what it means to suffer. And we know that ultimately you are our redeemer. Forgive us for our defaults when we we assume wrong things about you in this broken world. Help us in this day, trust in you, discover a, a right theology of suffering that sees you, Jesus, even dimly at times as Job did. Know that you are a God of goodness, even in the midst. You are all loving, all powerful, even as bad things happen at the heart of it all. You can be trusted. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I've entitled the message today, The Heart of the Matter. I was tempted to actually uh, title it, Jesus, the True and Better Job. I'd read several articles about this, this reflection of the connection of Job and Jesus, where they both were righteous men. They both had suffered. They both had battled through spiritual warfare. They both actually had a restoration. And then Job prayed for his friends who were so off. Jesus even more so died for his enemies. And from the cross said, Father, forgive them. I I thought it was so much, it was such an interesting thing, but I went, I decided to go beyond just that theme because as I I reflect on Jesus and Job together, I came back to this text of the heart of Job's book, right in the smack center of Job's book, which is a declaration of trust even as he sees dimly in the midst of all the tension of his hurt and his hope, even as he sees dimly, Job has a declaration of trust. And as we stand at the doorway of Lent, the season, as we uh, watch and journey with Jesus to approach the cross and his resurrection, I think this is especially telling for us to reflect on our own wrestling of our Job moments and how we can have a similar declaration. Now we have the gift of hindsight as believers on the other side of an empty cross. We know Jesus as the suffering servant. We know that Hebrews says that uh, we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize, but in all things, he was perfect, but in all things can relate to our suffering. And that Jesus is a redeemer who lives for us. And you've probably experienced him alive and well in your life as well. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of everything that Job saw dimly in Job 19. So a bit like today, we're maybe like those disciples uh, on the road to Emmaus and Jesus is gonna open the scripture and show to us how he's part of all of the Old Testament. And as this confession of Job can be connected to our own confession that Jesus is Lord and he can be trusted. I hope that this will help us ask the question, do I have my head on straight? when it comes to my theology of suffering. I do want to pause just and reread these few verses from Job 19. They're so powerful. Job speaking, he says, have pity on me, my friends have pity for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with iron, an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever i know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed yet in my flesh i will see god i myself will see him with my own eyes and not another how my heart yearns within me Oh, i, I love this and it's probably reflective if you've read other parts of the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, of this is this lament, this crying out that has a turn toward trust. A turn toward trust. And he knows in this text, he knows that he knows that he knows that God will meet him. God will come as a redeemer. That phrase comes up also in the book of Isaiah, in the, in the book of the Psalms, of uh, the sense that, the, that God will be an avenger one that will actually contend for him. And then he he makes a statement, which which Nathan reflected on at the very end of the book of Job, that I will see God firsthand. I will have an experience, a relationship with God. I won't just hear about him as as he says at the end of Job, but I will see God and be known by God. Reflect for a moment on your own, own Job moments in your life. When has... Calamity come? When have you experienced loss, disappointment, situations that made no sense? Have you experienced God? Have you seen God show up in the kind of way that Job is talking about in this passage? Where your eyes were open that you saw and you knew that God was with you. I think it's so amazing that Job asked the question why, all throughout? this book and the answer to the question why never comes instead we get an answer to the question who, who can be trusted? Job says my redeemer, my God that I can see the God who from the beginning formed the foundations of the earth. God who sees the big picture, God who comes to us with an unfailing love. And then in fulfillment of it all, Jesus who comes close to us, a God who loves us, meets us right where we're at. You know, there's some debate about, how people look, can look at this Old Testament text here in the middle of Job about how much did Job actually see and understand? And is it talking about resurrection on and on and on? Did he see Jesus? And uh, well, that's important, I'm not sure I'm smart enough to figure that all out, but there's no debate in the fact that Job believed God would show up. Job believed that God would show up. I appreciate how this scholar, uh, Walter Kaiser, he, uh, he writes this. He says, one point on which everyone can agree is that Job expected to see God, that God would show up. And he believed that he made this point three times. He knew it with such confidence in his declaration of faith. Another theologian said that there are brilliant flashes of faith, even in the midst of this bleak and dark background that Job was struggling with. In your Job moments, when have there been flashes of faith? in spite of the circumstances, knowing that God was there for you. Friends, this world today, bleak and dark background, right? I mean, there's hurt and destruction and just, justice issues. We're, we're feeling isolation still. COVID has hurt us physically and emotionally and created divisions. In the news this week, we're not just hearing about rumors of war, we're hearing about war. And we're watching videos, if you've seen it, it's so tragic of believers actually kneeling in city squares, praying for miracles, even as tanks come in. It's so difficult. Jesus knows about these kind of hurts. He told his disciples in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world right after he promises, I'm I'm telling you all this so that you will have peace, a peace that passes understanding. Friends, if our theology is off, and I know mine is, it's because sometimes we've, we've actually grasped to a misunderstanding that somehow we believe in Jesus and all will be made right in the world. That all will work out perfectly. Everything will come up roses. Jesus himself says, in this world, you have trouble. We live in a broken world. And faith is not a mathematical formula. It is about a relationship. If we've heard anything from the teachers who walked us through Job this week, or these past weeks, it's been that faith is actually about relationship. And Job discovered this and actually was transformed, moving from this transactional understanding of his faith to a relationally deep understanding of a faith, and even seeing dimly that there was a Redeemer who was going to show up for him, a God that he would see even as he was hurting. Today, the point I want to make, the point I want to reflect on is this, that our theology of suffering can be made right by trusting in the midst of the tension of our hurts and our hopes. Our theology of suffering can be made right by trusting in the midst of the tension of our hurts and our hopes. But I want to actually, actually ask you to make this personal today as we look at those two points. I want you to think about the fact that my hurts matter. To Jesus, and that my hope matters to Jesus. And as we reflect on this text from Job, we're going to think about it in these two ways. First, my hurt matters. Job in this, the beginning of words of of what's written here, he's crying out for compassion. Have pity on my friends. Have pity for the the hand of God has struck me. Oh, that my words were written on a scroll. I wonder if he knew that his words would be written on a scroll. Pretty amazing, right? Job was crying out for compassion and his friends let him down by getting distracted by bad theology and looking for ways to blame, right? His need for validation that his hurts matter, matter so personal. And I think again about how different Jesus responds in the gospel, how he shows up meeting people face to face in all of their brokenness, story after story of healing, of people who had been rejected, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Martha and Mary brokenhearted at the tomb of their brother Lazarus, pounding on Jesus's chest. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus wept with them. The father who had a son who was disturbed by an evil spirit, he said, I, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. Jesus comforted him. Jesus clearly communicates with people in the midst of their hurt your hurt matters. And even that their doubt doesn't disqualify them. That's another thing. We look at all this wrong. There are times we think that somehow doubt isn't part of the spiritual journey. It's quite the opposite. Listen to what one writer says. If you don't have doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it alive and moving. Hurt comes, friends. But then how do we look at it? How do we think? How do we think rightly about this whole topic of suffering? You know, I talk a lot with our students about the fact that all of us are theologians. Every single one of us think things about God. And I love how much when we talk with our middle schoolers, they can't but help but let that spill out, right? And what I've told them on many occasions, that what they think that God thinks about them is the most important thing that they think about God. Job wrestled in such a way that he knew his hurt mattered. Jesus met people in their wrestling so that they knew that their hurt mattered. And so we need, to, we need to struggle and not have a bad theology that avoids this tension, that takes us to places of prosperity gospel that's like says you do all these right things and you'll be blessed. Sometimes that doesn't work out. Or a despairing kind of thinking where, oh my gosh, I'm I'm just going to give up on it anyway. I have a defeatist, like nothing's going to make a difference. Jesus wants us to live in the tension of all of the hurt and know that it matters. I wonder if we can be a church that communicates that hurt matters to people who come in our doors, that we can greet them and welcome them and invite their real sharing. Because there are many folks who would say, with my real hurt, church is the last place I would go. What what a tragedy that we can't be more welcoming to the people who are most hurting. I, I pray it can be true. I'd seen a friend who's a pastor in uh, Colorado post this last week about a situation I'd love to share with you. Travis writes, our church opens up for trick-or-treating for Halloween. Kind of a strange thing for a church to do. Does it really matter? Today, a family whose 16 year old died of an overvo- overdose called us asking if we might do the funeral because they don't have a church. They called us because on Halloween, they brought their younger kids trick-or-treating and commented on how nice everyone was to them. Because we handed out candy and gave them a warm place on a cold night, we are now invited into their deepest grief with an opportunity to share God's gentle love. I'm proud and I'm humbled to be part of this church. Bethany, I've seen seen many of you do that well here. And I'm grateful that there's there's an, an openness to receive people and communicate that their hurt matters, their story matters. That's the first point of having our head on right about a right theology. Secondly, our hope matters. Our hope matters. This is Job's declaration. I know that my Redeemer lives that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And I I myself will see him with my own eyes, I not another, how my heart yearns within me. There's this longing, this aching for hope to to, to be made true and alive in the midst of his hurt, that God would show up. Job believed that God would show up. As I was thinking about some of my own Job moments in my life and seeing times where, Hope mattered and God showed up. I remembered this uh, this situation decades ago when I was in Africa on a music ministry team. I was right out of college, went with four friends. We were going to be in the country of Ghana for two months. And we were landing and the plan was we were going to have several days of uh, recuperating from jet lag. And then we were going to be part of ministry with the church there and do music and all that stuff. But when we landed, we were greeted by uh, our hosts and they shared that, one of our key hosts, his name was Daniel, wasn't able to join them because Daniel's wife, Mercy, had died in childbirth and they'd lost one of their twins. The other twin had survived. And then they told us, hey, we know you're having jet lag and everything, but tomorrow you'll be singing at Mercy's funeral. (sighs) Oh my gosh, kind of mind blown for this young American kid in a foreign country in a very intense situation. The next day we show up to the, the funeral and we were greeted by Daniel. He apologized that he couldn't host us better. We were heartbroken for this guy. We sang our songs, whatever, but then they sang their songs. And I saw demonstrated in this community of faith in these friends in Ghana, a depth of hope that I, I don't know if I'd ever seen before. And they, they sang together this song, Da Nase, Da Nase, Da Onyaminase, Thank the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Daniel got up and talked about how he believed that God's mercy would endure forever and that his wife mercy was cared for in the arms of Jesus. They're clinging to a hope that was real for them. Job had hope, even though he saw dimly, Job had hope. Jesus had hope. Even as he cried out from the cross, father into your hands, I commend my spirit. There's a bigger plan happening. Have you ever tasted that hope matters in the midst of your Job moments? I love, I love these songs that we've been singing that put hope on the front burner. I think of the song, Blessed Be Your Name, when the sun's shining down, when hard things happen, you give and take away, still my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. These are cries of hope in the midst of our hurt. Uh, One of my favorite musicians, his name is David Wilcox, and he wrote this song a long time ago called Show the Way, and I'd love just to share a verse and a chorus because I think it paints this picture of how hope matters. He says, look, if someone wrote a play just to glorify what's stronger than hate, would they not arrange the stage to look as if the hero came too late? He's almost in defeat. It's looking like the evil side will win, but on the edge of every seat, From the moment that the whole thing began, it was love that mixed the mortar. It was love that stacked these stones, and it was love that made the stage here, though it looks like we're alone. In this scene set in shadows, like the night is here to stay, there's evil cast around us, but it's love that wrote the play. And in this darkness, love will show the way. Friends, we know this to be true, those of us who call Christ Lord. Jesus is the way. Jesus is a truth. Jesus is a life for each one of us. And our hope matters when we cling to him. You know, the heart of the matter today is we try to get our heads on straight, comb our hair right, but the right theology of suffering is that we see here in Job 19, a declaration of faith that we can trust in the tension of all the hurt and all the hope. I couldn't help but remember this, Quote from Frederick Buechner this week in preparation for today. He writes, God is all powerful. God is all good. Terrible things happen. You can reconcile any two of these propositions with each other, but you can't reconcile all three. The problem of evil is perhaps the greatest single problem for religious faith. There have been numerous theological and and philosophical attempts to solve it, but when it comes down to the reality of evil itself, there are none None of them are worth much. And he goes on to talk about, there's no comfort for a family who loses a child when you talk about free will or whatever else. But this is how he ends. Christianity, on the other hand, ultimately offers no theoretical solution at all. It merely points to the cross and says, practically speaking, there's no evil so dark and so obscene, not even this, but that God can turn it to good. It's the right interpretation of Romans 8, 28, that God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not that God makes all things good, but God works things out. God is intimately involved in our hurt and in our hope. God wants to show up. John 10, 10 says, Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may know life and know it abundantly. Job experienced the thief that came stealing, killing, destroying in his life. He lost everything. Jesus experienced the thief that came to tempt him in the garden, steal, kill, destroy. But I believe that Job in these verses, he saw something, even dimly declared a faith about an abundant life. Jesus obviously rose again, lives as our redeemer, abundant life. Today, I want to end with three testimonies about people experiencing abundant life with the right theology, living in this tension of trusting in the midst of their hurt, midst of their hope. The first story is uh, from winter camp last week. I see some students in uh, the house. That was awesome. We took 85 of us went down with middle schoolers and high schoolers to uh, Black Diamond. We had just an awesome time. Two years. We haven't done anything like this. So, so rich. And we had the theme of unshakable. We talked about how in in Hebrews says that we are part of an unshakable kingdom. They've experienced, like all of us, lots of shaking, lots of hurt in these last couple of years, but that we have something solid in Jesus. Our first night in the midst of worship, uh, we did this exercise in which we had them consider what are the lies that they believe about themselves, things that the world has said to them, things that they maybe even think that God believes about them. And we had laid out all these mirrors and we asked them to go write and dry erase marker on these mirrors, the lies that they had believed about themselves. Listen to this list and you can see some pictures as we scroll through. You cause problems. Unforgivable, not smart, not enough. Never able to. Everything I do is wrong. No future. Unforgivable. Ugly. Alone. I'm annoying. Nothing about me is Beautiful. It was just amazingly heartbreaking, wrenching to walk by these mirrors as we continued worship and know that these were, these are ways in which they were parting their hair wrong. They had these theologies, these thinking about who they were, how they viewed themselves, maybe even how God viewed them. That was just wrecking them. And then through some more worship, they actually went away to small groups, came back. We wiped the slate clean on those mirrors. We gave them sharpies. And we asked them to think differently, to live in this tension, believe the hope of their identity in Jesus and the difference that makes. These are the words that they wrote about the truth of their identity in Christ, even in the midst of the hurt and the shaking. You are enough. You're valued. You're beautiful. You're strong. You're loved. You're cared for. You're sufficient. You have confidence, you're flourishing, you're holy, you're acceptable. Friends, I can't help but believe that, that these young people left changed by that experience about the truth of their identity in Jesus. And I hope and pray every day they wake up, they think differently about a God who wants to show up in the midst of their hurt with hope. The second testimony today We're gonna see a little video from dear friends here at Bethany, Rich and Kim Hurst, about their story, and so we'll let that run now.
1: It was a typical Wednesday night for us. We had both finished our Zoom day working at home, and it was time to start our small group. And the phone rang. As as everybody's showing up on the Zoom small group. So he took the call and I looked at, I I just watched him as he took the call and his face changed and he excused himself and got up and left the room. And he came out a few minutes later from behind the closed door and he looks at the group on the camera and said, I have just been told that I need to get to the emergency room right away and that they're holding a room for me.
2: You know, they told me to go to the emergency room, so went to the emergency room and um, they said, we're gonna have to uh, admit you to the hospital that you have some form of cancer. I've been well my whole life, I've never had any kind of sickness, I've never been on any kind of medications. And they said, you have AML, which stands for acute myeloid leukemia. And so my daughter, uh, one of my daughters said, well, how long does my dad have? And the doctor looked, doctor looked around a little bit, I'm kind of uncomfortable, and she looked back and she said, two months.
1: Those first moments in the car, uh, we were we were just thunderstruck, and and we didn't even know what to make of what was about to happen. So we just held hands as we're driving the first couple of miles, and we just prayed, Lord, we have no idea what's ahead, but you do, and you are going to walk us through that. And, and we trust you.
2: The questions for me were, um, you know, what can I do? What is it that I can do to um, live into this and to fight this and to be faithful? I did also ask how? How can this glorify God? How can this make a difference? A person who's actually going through it, you just have to go through it. You don't have a choice. But for your f- family, They're, you know, they're not going through it. And so they're worried what's going to happen. The suffering was tough. I lost my job. I lost my insurance. Um, I lost, you know, my health. Couldn't eat. Couldn't move over. I couldn't turn over in the bed. I couldn't get up off a chair. People had to help me off the chair. But suffering wasn't um, something that um, was bad in the sense that I knew that God cared about me. And I knew that Christ was there. You know, one of the things that Kim said to me, um, going through all this process of, of loss and suffering, one night she said, you know, Rich, God is our provider. And I don't know what it was, but that was such a great message to me because the next day I was meeting with the people in charge of the business I, I worked at and they were concerned about what to do. I said, hey, you know what? Don't worry about me. God's my provider. God will provide for us and God, is, God is there. God has really been our provider in ways that, you know, through people and through other circumstances and other opportunities that have just been amazing. And that was a great word to me. So thank you for saying that. Second Chronicles, verse uh, chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat that was just getting ready to get creamed by a bunch of people. And it was really overwhelming. And he didn't know what to do. In fact, the word he uses was he was alarmed that this was going to happen. So he went and stood before God, which is Thing, 'Cause he went and prayed and I love what God says to him because God said, This isn't your fight. And for me that resonated so much that this wasn't gonna be my fight alone, that I was there as God's you know, servant, and it was his fight, and I could trust him. No matter what the outcome was, I could trust him. And you know, it's a little bit like Job, right? You know, no matter what happens, if I die, I'll still proclaim God.
1: And then there was a 22 year old girl in germany <laughs> i'm gonna cry who um who said if if i can save the life of this person that i've been told about i want to do it and what i have to do between now and when he gets myself is i have to make sure that i stay healthy do all the right things we don't know her she doesn't know us but it was all of those things working together uh, that god used to provide for us
2: all that blood that you know is being made in me is being made by her stem cells and giving me life i'm here today because of that and it reminds me each day that christ died for us and his blood covers us just like her blood gives me life christ's blood gives me life each day you know one of the things that i've realized through this process is that i'm not sure why people live and why some people die i think that going through this I'm so thankful that I took time to get a foundation in understanding my relationship with God and scripture. That helped sustain us.
1: Is your hope in a person who loves you and knows you and sees you? Is your faith in someone that you can trust? If that's your basis, then it really doesn't, it it takes a lot of the sting out of, am I gonna survive this or not? Because your hope is in a hope for a beautiful future maybe it's a living future and maybe it's an afterlife future your faith is is in someone who can stand up under the weight of that faith and your belief is that the god of the universe who created me loves me sees me right here and and is with me right here every step of the way
2: i don't know how long i'm going to be here on earth could be uh, this week it could be next year it could be 10 years now And I'm thankful to be here and I'm thankful even more to um, be in the light of Christ, to be in the shadow of his
0: cross. Wow, what what a way to end the Job series, right? Thankful to be in the light of Christ in the shadow of the cross. Did you hear them talk about their trust in the tension of all this hurt, their hope in the midst of all this hurt and trial? It's amazing. It's amazing. That's our second testimony. The third testimony today, I want to ask you about your story and encourage you as you've thought about my Job moments. How has God shown up in the midst of my Job moments? What's your story? And this week, can you take time, if you've had that experience of God showing up, you could share that with someone. You can encourage someone with it. And maybe like many people's story, that's not always a happy ending and you're still questioning like Job. Friends, that's the relationship that Jesus is inviting us into too. Even in that tension to maintain trust, to lean in and trust. I was approached after the second service by a man whose journey with cancer is gonna go differently than riches. He's losing the battle with cancer, and yet he talked about victory in Christ that let me know from the twinkle in his eye that he, like Job, has seen that his Redeemer lives, has seen God real and alive for him. Friends, this week, this day, think about your story. And I I pray that you'd be encouraged this week to consider your thinking around this this issue of, of suffering altogether and ask Jesus to meet you there in it. And in the midst of the tension of all the hurt, find hope, lean in and trust. And know and believe that we can, like these students who changed the lies and the truth, like Rich and Kim, who just knew no matter what happens, God's love has been near to us. We can say it is well with our soul. Would you please pray with me? Jesus, we often wonder uh, if we can be honest when we're hurting, if this church, if these friends are people that we can come to with our hurts, Lord, thank you for that pattern of meeting people right where they're at. And though we have believed many lies, we've looked at this whole topic of suffering wrong at times, help us know our hurts matter to you, our hopes matter to you, and we can say with Job, I know my Redeemer lives, I know I will see God. We can say with Jesus, your will be done. In the midst of this circumstance, your will be done. And that ultimately, as we trust, it will be well with our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.